Bucky and I are going to be going through the book of Ephesians over the next few weeks. And the hard thing about that is that we're not going to be able to touch on everything. Okay? Very difficult to go through the book of Ephesians in just like four or five weeks. But we're going to touch on, highlight some, some major themes in it. So our prayer is that by the time we come through it, that you'll have this great sense of, wow, this is what the Lord is really telling us through the book of Ephesians, what he's trying to point us to. So we're just going to be highlighting certain passages and capture some of the overarching themes. So we're not going to be going through verse by verse. But one thing you should know is that the, the major theme of Ephesians is that uh, God has a plan for bringing all things in unity into Christ. Okay, so bringing us as his people into unity with him and with Christ. It's like the, the whole point is bringing everything in unity to Christ. So the, the first three chapters are this great reminder of his grand plan of doing that, which is a really cool thing. So the first three chapters, so I encourage you to go and read them uh, ahead of time uh, so that you can kind of, you know, it's always better when you have lots of overlap of Scripture in your life. I don't know if you ever realized that. But when you read something before then you hear it preached, or you read it after you hear it preached, boy, it just starts to sink in a little bit better, doesn't it? So I encourage you. Chapters 1 through 3, God's wonderful, sovereign plan of how he has saved his people, bringing us into unity together and unity with Christ. Then in chapters 4 through 6, uh, it's really about how do we live together in unity in Christ. So like the practical application, what are the actions and thoughts we should have as God's people being unified in Christ together. Now, here's the weird thing that we're going to do with this, though. Okay, you ready for this? We're going to go backwards. Okay? And you're like, how are you going to go backwards, preaching through it backwards? It's possible, okay? It's kind of like, you know how some movies, the very first opening scene is what happens at the end, you know? And then the whole rest of the movie is kind of like, helping fill you in on what happens at the end, and then at the end you're like, oh, okay, that's why that happened. So it's going to be a little bit like that maybe, all right? So we're going to go backwards. So I'm going to be preaching on chapters 5 and 6 this week and next week, and then Bucky's going to tackle more of 1 through 4. Okay, everybody ready for that? You sure? I don't hear a lot of enthusiasm. Okay, all right. So let me read our passage. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles or open your Bible app. Uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Lord, you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever, and you are faithful to all generations. Lord, you were faithful to the generation before us, you are faithful to us now, and you will be faithful to the generations to come. And we thank you for how you are faithful uh, when we are not. Lord, we ask for your help now. Um, All the power rests with you, Holy Spirit, and with the word. I'm just a man. So Lord, please uh, do a great work in our hearts and minds that we would uh, be a little bit more like Jesus uh, when we leave here today so that we can go out into the world and encourage each other and build each other up and show and tell people about you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. What is one of the most startling wake-up calls you've ever gotten? Could be somebody waking you up, jarring you like this. Maybe it's a phone call that wakes you up. What's one of the most startling? Now, it could be startling for a good reason, not just a bad reason. Can you think about that? Well, I remember a couple, one really hard one and one really good one. Uh, I remember when I was a freshman in high school, and my uncle woke me up in the middle of the night, and he told me that my stepmom had died. And my, uh, my dad and her had been married for about three months. And she was in the hospital, uh, but we did not expect that she was going to die. Uh, so to be woken up in the middle of the night, and then for my stepbrother in the next room over to be woken up and to just hear his crying when he was told the same thing. That was a very hard wake-up call. And then I also remember um, when my wife was pregnant with our first child. My wife's name's Jody, and our first child, his name's Titus. When uh, she was pregnant with him, her water broke, and that woke her up and me up. (laughs) And that was a good wake-up call. Uh, It was time to have our first child. The thing about a wake-up call is that it wakes you up to reality, to something that's happened that you weren't aware of because you were sleeping. It also could be a reminder to something that's happened. Maybe it's a wake-up call that reminds you of something that was already going on. But either way, you were sleeping, right? And so now the wake-up call brings you into reality of something that happened. Sometimes it's good things, sometimes it's hard things. Well, in Ephesians, uh, part of our passage today talks about waking us up from a sleep, a dead sleep, like us being dead, 
not actually being asleep. But the whole book itself is something that's reminding us, or maybe for some of you in this room for the first time, hearing about who God is and what he's done for us and his great plan of how he saves people and then how it's supposed to be a wake-up call also for how we're supposed to live together as his people, how we're supposed to live in our families together. So that's what this wake-up call is all about, a reminder of how God has treated us in chapter 5. We're going to get those reminders. How he has treated us and a reminder of how, of how we are to live in light of how he has treated us. So hopefully we'll get woken up to those things this morning. So in verses 1 and 2, we get, and actually I'm going to cheat a little bit here. So if you have your Bibles open, this will be easy for you. But if you look at the verse right before, I'm cheating and I'm going back a verse. I don't think Bucky's going to talk about this verse. He didn't tell me he was. So it's his fault if he does end up talking about it, if I steal any of his thunder. But the verse before, which is verse 32 in chapter 4, so I'm going to start there. I'm going to read through verse 2 of chapter 5, okay? And this is going to be a big picture that reminds us of how God has treated us, what he's done for us, right? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, in the middle of those two verses, there's this call, this command at some level, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Now, just think about that. He's telling us to be imitators of God. How are we supposed to imitate God? I mean, God is high and holy and lifted up and powerful. And I mean, he's omniscient. You know, here's, here's some of the big words, right? Omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at the same time. There's nowhere you can go where he's not there. And he's also omnipotent which means he's all-powerful. Nothing can hold him back. He's all-powerful. How are we supposed to imitate things like that? That's impossible for us to imitate all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. Well, that's not what he's asking us to imitate, is it? What is he asking us to imitate? He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we're to be like him, in how he forgives. God has made us. We're made in the image of God. So there are certain things that we are able to do like he does them. Have you ever made something with your hands? Okay, have you ever created anything? I mean, he's made us kind of like little creators. All right? There's ways in which we can be like him. And so here in this passage... He's calling us to forgive like him. Now, that's still really hard, isn't it? That's really hard. But he's calling us to forgive like him. Why? Because he has forgiven us. So those two things are connected. The more we're able to understand how he has forgiven us, we are going to, to, more, better, to, more, better, to more fully forgive like him. The more we realize how he has forgiven us, the more we're able to forgive like him. All right? 
He also wants us to be like him in how he loves, how he loves us, and how he gave himself up for us. I mean, wouldn't you say that the way we can tell whether someone loves us is by how much they give of themselves for us? Like we can, that's kind of a good mark of how people love us. If we can tell that they're willing to give of themselves a lot to us, that shows a greater level of them loving. If we can tell that people don't really want to give us the time of day, but they'll just kind of like do it just to do it for us, then we're kind of like, ah, that seemed kind of empty, honestly. Right? Have you ever had somebody kind of treat you like that? Like, oh, they went ahead and did something that seemed nice, but you could kind of tell it was kind of forced. Right? So a measure of, our, of, of how we can see love from other people is in how much they give of themselves. And so God, in his example to us, how he has treated us, is that he has given himself up for us. Which shouldn't make a whole lot of sense to us, honestly. Why would the God of the universe who created all things and is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, why would he give people like us the time of day? Because that would make sense if like God didn't show us love and care. Like he's way above us. That would make sense if he was just like, oh, okay, forget you, whatever. I'll just do this quick thing for you. But he doesn't do that. He comes to earth to be fully God and fully man, to get in the muck and the mire of this world. And not only that, but then to die for us. So if the God of the universe steps down that low, to show us love. The more we understand how much he stepped low to us to come and be with us, to show us love and care, then we are going to be able to better love people and give ourselves up for them. That's how we're to be imitators of God. That's how he's calling us to imitate him. So, it's in knowing how he's treated us and the better we are acquainted with how he's treated us, then we're able to be a certain way with one another as his people. So it's so important that we have a wake-up call over and over and over again, every day, of how he's treated us, how he's dealt with us. He's been very kind and gracious and loving, hasn't he? So... We're going to go through some of these other things a little more quickly. But here's, here's what's important. Here now is like the actions and the behavior kind of stuff, a little, more, a little more in depth. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So we have these very specific things that the Lord is saying, don't be a part of this. Don't do these things. 
And do you see, it's not just like a casual don't be, a, don't be doing these things kind of thing. It's don't even have a hint of them among you. So there's something about how we're supposed to live together that these things should not be present. Now, you may be thinking, because this is where a lot of people will go when they read some of this stuff like, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no place, no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. And you might be thinking, wait a second, I have done some things that I know God would not be okay with in those areas. But I mean, just think about being an idolater. Idolater is everybody. Because you're an idolater if you make something that's not God, God in your life that you, your affections and your love are placed on something that is not him, and you put that thing above God. So have you ever loved anything in any moment of your life more than you loved God? Anybody here? Yeah. A lot of hands did not go up, people. What is going on? Okay. We are all idolaters at some point in our lives. So what does this mean that you can't be, like you have no place in the kingdom of heaven? This is if there is unrepentant, non-turning-to-Jesus stuff in your life. If this sin remains there without Christ, without faith in Christ, then that sin is then before you and God, that sexual sin, that idolatry, that sin has not been wiped away by the Lord, by the Lord Jesus because your faith is not in him. So if, our, if we don't put our faith in him, then our sin remains as a stain on us. And so then we are defined by that sin in our relationship with God. He is holy. We sang holy, holy, holy. He's perfect. So when that sin is between us and him without Christ, then we will have no place in God's kingdom. So it's only by the blood and sacrifice of Christ, the grace and mercy of God, that any of us get in. A lot of times we think in this culture, we think about things like, Oh, gosh, how can we say that certain people are excluded from getting into the kingdom of heaven? Like, how can we say that this sin is so bad and this sin is so bad and that this would keep them? There's a lot of nice people out there who do bad things. How could they be excluded from, from God's kingdom? But really, we should be asking a question, how is it that anybody gets into heaven? Even me and you, right? And you're like, Andy, you're a pastor. Of course you're going to get into heaven. No, I don't deserve to be there. I don't deserve to be there. The fact that anybody gets in is a tremendous grace of God. It's not who's missing. It's like, why is anybody even there? So, and the scriptures are clear about before we come to know Christ, we are opposing God. We oppose God. So he, he calls us into these things, and what's the antidote that he says here? This is really interesting. The antidote to these uh, impure actions well, the antidote, he says, is thanksgiving. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. How could thankfulness be an antidote to sexual immorality and idolatry and crude joking and all these things? Isn't that kind of a strange thing to say? Well, uh, I thought some helpful um, words from a pastor named James Boyce as I was reading he essentially said, and I think this is spot on, 
when we're thankful for God's design of these things, then that keeps us from doing them in an impure way. So if we grow in thankfulness for God's design of sex, okay, within marriage between a man and a woman, when we're thankful for those things, then we're going to more easily say no to the impure things of that. When we have possessions and we make our house, our boat, whatever, more important than God, and we turn into an idolater, we've stopped giving thanks to God for those things and we've replaced them, replaced him with them. So if we give thanks for our worldly possessions and we have a thankful heart to God about them, that puts them in their proper place. God stays up here, they stay down here. So thankfulness. And then if we love the truth, because a lot of these things in here about how to live with one another is speaking truthfully to one another. So if we love the truth, we love what it means to say truthful things and not lie. And then crude joking is a twisting you know, when, when we love to just say things to get a laugh out of people, but it's at the expense of what's good and right and true and maybe at the expense of someone else, crude joking, of course that would not have a place among God's people because it's making light of things that are meant to be taken more seriously or it's tearing someone down, someone who's made in the image of God. So being thankful for the truth, being thankful for the people that are around us, even when it's really hard to be thankful for them, maybe. So that's the antidote to those things. So in verse 14, uh, there's, he talks about darkness and light, and darkness is really all about the selfish things that we do, honestly, and staying hidden from God and hidden from others at some level. So coming into the light is a good thing. So awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. We need a wake-up call every day about these things, who God is and what he's done for us, and how we should live with one another. But look at what's interesting here. Awake, O sleeper. It's not just a somebody who's asleep and we just need to kind of like rustle them up a little bit. Look at the next words. And arise from the dead. This person is dead. We are dead. So you know the verse, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Let me ask you this question. On their own, what can dead people do? Nothing. Right? What can dead people do? Nothing. They just lay there. They can do nothing. So we need the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit for a salvation kind of wake-up call to come in and change our hearts from a dead heart, a heart of stone that has no life, that is not responsive to God. We need the Holy Spirit to come and wake us up because we're dead. It's like a, it's coming, it's a coming to life kind of a waking up, not just a, hey, buddy, time to get up. You know, my kids hate the way I wake them up sometimes, by the way. There was a, a guy, actually, and I do this to my kids sometimes now. Uh, there was a fellow youth leader, and when we would go on retreats, when it was time to get all the youth up, 
he'd come into the cabin and he'd come in and he'd start waking everybody up and like, you know, really, really pushing them around. And he'd say, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead and let the light of Christ shine upon you. <laughs> so he would quote this every single time and they hated it. They hated it, of course. But we need, like, it's a dead kind of thing, not a, oh, just kind of barely asleep here. It's time to get up. Sun's kind of coming in a little bit. No. Holy Spirit, change us to be someone who then can be someone like Jesus. You and I cannot work ourselves up a conjuring of Jesus-like behavior. We need the Holy Spirit to change us. Even after we come to know the Lord, we still need the Lord to, con- like, to keep working in us and sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. And that's a great gift of his. So we need a, a wake-up for salvation. But then honestly, even as Christians, we need the reminders to keep waking us up. And when we talk about imitating God, brothers and sisters, the word there in Greek that is, imit- you know, is mimetai, okay? that imitating God, mimetai, that's where we get our word mimic from. If the only way you can mimic someone is if you spend time with them, you study them. And so as believers, we need to be spending time with the Lord in his word and in prayer, spending time with one another and pointing each other to him so that we can be imitators of God. And as uh, we're just going to skip all the way to the end here, to, uh, there's lots of other good stuff, obviously, in 15 through 20. And he lists some other things we need to stay away from, being drunk, uh, don't be foolish. And the antidote for that goes back to thankfulness again and having a melody in your heart that sings to the Lord. That's a good question for us. Do we have a melody going on in our heart to where then we actually want to sing songs to the Lord, but is it kind of like a melody in our hearts where we're singing to the Lord just inside of us? And giving him glory. And then verse 21, another part of the antidote for these selfish things, it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is going to launch us into our passages next week. But think about submitting. So we're being called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's an antidote for the selfish things because if we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, it's another way of imitating God. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father to go to the cross. And Jesus gave himself for us. There's a sense in which he submitted to our needs. What is the God of the universe doing submitting to our needs? Our greatest need to have our sin forgiven and to be right with God. So us submitting to one another is a picture of the gospel to each other. Just like Jesus gave himself up for us, he gave his life to pay for our sin. Then we, when we submit to one another, we're showing that picture of giving ourselves up for the building up of other people. What a great reality that is for us, that we can reflect the gospel in how we submit to one another. 
So we'll get a little bit more into that next week. Let's pray. Lord, you have given so much and you have been so kind. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that so that then we can love you and follow you and love others well. Help us to participate with your work, Holy Spirit, in us so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to read this from uh, the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I think it's a great encouragement to us as we go. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is that us doing our own work to do that? No. Listen to what it says. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. May you go in peace to love and serve the Lord.